All right, welcome on in Friday morning, Locked on Syracuse podcast. Tim Leonard here with you, and lots to get to on the show today. We're going all things basketball after we touched on a lot of football on the last two episodes, had Stephen Bailey on in the last two. Today, we got to catch up on the news of Quincy Ballard, the Florida State transfer, has made a visit to Syracuse. He is on campus this weekend. We will discuss what that addition might mean for Syracuse and their roster next year, whether he should be the only addition they make in the transfer portal, and that'll be that, or if they need to add some more players as well, and some other relevant basketball news to dive into. It's all coming up today on the Locked On Syracuse podcast. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on back to the show. Tim Leonard here with you. We appreciate you guys making us your first listen each and every weekday as we are the only place for daily SU podcasts. So lots to get into on the Quincy Ballard front. Before we do that, I want to remind you guys to subscribe to the show if you haven't already so that you can stay updated on Syracuse news throughout the offseason. Football, basketball, recruiting, we have you covered. Also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done that already. You can watch all our episodes there if you enjoy consuming our podcast that way and check us out on twitter that is at lo underscore syracuse for all the latest news syracuse recruiting and otherwise we are always keeping you updated on the twitter page plus always taking comments if you have any questions like a mailbag type of thing that can be on twitter as well just shoot us a tweet or a dm or whatever and we can get to it that way on twitter but let's start out with uh some news that came across the wire Yesterday, I believe, in regards to a scheduling matchup before we get into the Quincy Ballard news, which is the big stuff that I want to talk about today and how he's making his visit. I'll have plenty of thoughts on that. But it looks like Syracuse has added at least one team to its schedule next season in the non-conference, and that is Bryant. They are going to make be making a return to the Dome, first time since Syracuse almost lost to Bryant in the first COVID game, fresh off the long COVID pause, the opener to the 2020-21 season, which was a scary 85-84 win, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Joe Girard really struggled in that game, and Bryant, who was a team that played in the first four in Dayton as a 16 seed this past year, won their conference, has been pretty solid under Jared Grasso, the head coach. You might remember at the end of that Syracuse-Bryant game, the opener from a couple seasons ago, Jared Grasso kind of went after the Heimer a little bit. Jim Beheim, the head coach for Bryant, was not pleased that Jim Beheim hinted at we probably shouldn't have played the game and we almost lost because of the COVID pause. And then Grasso, I believe, said something like, we gave him you know, ample time to push the game back and we kept asking that and they said it was fine. So I don't think there was really any bad blood there, clearly, because they're right back on the schedule here. And Charles Pride, who is a local guy, will be back in the Dome. Bryant has had a good team recently, so we'll see if that is the opener. We don't know the exact date, and this is according to John Rothstein, that it will be on the schedule next year. But as far as we know right now, schedule for next season, the regular season, all we know is this Bryant game, and that they will be playing in the Empire Classic, which is at the Barclays Center. Four teams in that, Syracuse, St. John's, Temple, Richmond. 
believe those dates are out November 21st and November 22nd for the Empire Classic at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, where Syracuse, at least anytime I watch them play a game there, it seems like they lose. So hopefully that changes this year and they are able to get a win. It seems like on paper they should be the best team of those four. I don't know a ton, candidly, right now about Temple and Richmond. St. John's has been all right in the Big East recently, but you'd expect Syracuse to hopefully win two games in two days there, or at least they'll be favored to do so. And then they also have Brian on the schedule. So that's what we know about the schedule so far. Well, let's dive into the, the major news, which is Quincy Ballard. It's funny because when it first came out that Quincy Ballard was hitting the portal from Florida State, it was like, yeah, that, that makes sense that Syracuse would go after him. It's a very obvious thing that this is coming to be. It, it feels a lot like the Symer Torrance fit of last year where, as I've talked about on the, on the pod recently, a guy that was a local kid in Syracuse, Syracuse reached out, Syracuse offered. There was some interest, but decided to go somewhere else, go out of Syracuse, go to a power conference program. Symer went to Marquette. Quincy goes to Florida State and struggled there, did not play a ton. And now here he is hitting the portal after two seasons. I believe Symer was also after two seasons of not really playing minutes, numbers, not good at all. Symer worked out, and that was at the point guard position. This is at the center position where, again, Syracuse loses a guy in the portal at the center position, much like they lost Kadari Richmond to the portal and had to add a point guard as a backup in the portal. And now it looks like they could be adding Quincy Ballard. Now, we don't know how interested Quincy Ballard is. I mean, we know that he's up there visiting, and it seems like he was chatting with uh, Jim Beheim and Coach Griffin and eating at the varsity. Some local journalist in Syracuse spotted that, and I say journalist jokingly because I saw someone tweeted at Brennax jokingly saying, sources confirm, hashtag journalist, that they are in line in front of me at the varsity. So shout out to whoever did that. I got a kick out of that. Just such a great place. I miss the varsity and miss all the food there. And great place to take a recruit. I feel like if I was Quincy Ballard, I'd be pretty awestruck by just the whole varsity vibe. And it's it's overall just a, a cool place to visit. And it's right there on Marshall Street. So I think it's cool that Jim Beheim did that. He seems like he goes to the varsity pretty frequently. I remember seeing him in there occasionally when I was on campus. But I do think that Quincy Ballard is probably going to happen at this point. We'll see. Don't know anything outside of that he's made the visit. He did make a visit to Wichita State as well since he has entered the transfer portal, and I think that's interesting because that's probably a starting role. I don't know that for sure, but maybe they could present some more playing time. You'd have to think that Quincy Ballard, after averaging, what, four minutes per game at Florida State? Yeah, four minutes per game over two seasons. He appeared in 36 total games at Florida State double-digit minutes just twice in his Florida State career over two years. One of those games, his most minutes played in a game, actually came in the Dome against Syracuse in the uh, first or second meeting this year against Florida State when they lost in a close one in the Dome. He again played in the ACC tournament matchup, but that was garbage time minutes when it was kind of a blowout for Syracuse that time around. So it's a guy that has not played much. So Syracuse is probably going to say, hey, you're a backup center, 10, 15 minutes. Look what Frank Anselm played. That's probably what you're going to play. Jesse, he gets in foul trouble. And then Jesse's a guy that could be leaving after next season. And 
Peter Carey's also on the roster, but we're not confident that he's going to be ready maybe that quickly. And I don't really view this as like an indictment on Peter Carey because I think we've always understood that Peter Carey was probably not going to be a part of the rotation regardless of who was on the roster next year. And that's why I do think it's very integral that they use this one scholarship they have left on a center. So we'll dive into Quincy's stats some more and get into just the idea that maybe is this a lazy thing for Syracuse to be going after Quincy Ballard? Does it show complacency from the coaching staff? That kind of opinion has been out there. I want to talk about that some in just a little bit. Do want to remind you about Built Bar, though, because it's that time of the year where I've pretty much given up on my New Year's resolution. Not this year, though. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right, and that is all thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. You have to try the Built Bar Puffs if you haven't already. You're really missing out if you haven't because these Built Bar Puffs come in great flavor options. Coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, to name a couple of them. They're covered in 100% real chocolate, and they are somehow good for you as well. Low-calorie, high-protein. You can replace your candy bars with these. You can go to Built.com, scroll down that macros chart. You will be blown away, I promise. These are Most of these contain about 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein. So you compare that to a candy bar, which is around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. You are getting something that is delicious and also good for you. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off over at Built.com. All right, so sticking with Quincy Ballard, want to dive into some of his numbers here. Going back to his high school days, again, local kid, Henninger High School, three-star in high school, was the 336th-ranked player in his class, which was class of 2020, 59th best center in his high school class. Doesn't jump off the page, pretty comparable to, I don't know, I'm trying to think, John Bull was a little bit, lower rated than that and I, th- I guess we haven't had really anyone in the 300 range buddy was was probably right around there but that's not really a, a comparable comparison anyway the rankings are the rankings and they're okay there was some interest from Syracuse in high school as we talked about there was an offer he was down to three schools that included Syracuse Maryland and then decided on Florida State other offers in high school for Quincy Ballard He had Cincinnati offer him, Maryland, as I mentioned, in the top three, NC State, and then a bunch of mid-major schools as well. So he picks Florida State. And I remember at the time thinking, yeah, it's sort of a bummer that we missed out on the local kid, but it's not like we missed out on the local kid that's a McDonald's All-American or cough, cough, JJ Starlin, like a local kid that is a total game changer. It's a guy that was probably going to be a project center. And I remember thinking, you know, it makes sense if I'm him and Florida state comes calling that Florida state's intriguing to me. Look at what they have done with seven footers. He's a guy seven feet, two forty is what he's listed on the Florida state roster. Looks skinnier than that. But I mean, all guys that are seven feet kind of look skinny. So it makes sense. Leonard Hamilton has a great track record of developing Florida state guys. They play a lot of guys, He goes down there, and he plays four minutes per game. His stats, 1.1 points per game, 0.9 rebounds per game. He did shoot at 71% from the floor, but that just speaks to a very, very low 
sample size really was odd that he played 13 minutes in that Syracuse game. Felt like Leonard Hamilton understood that he probably really was playing in front of some family and friends that day and understood that the Carrier Dome was a place that he grew up going to maybe and was interested in going to. And there was some sort of nostalgic vibes of being there, just sentimental value for him. So maybe that wasn't it. Maybe he just thought, you know, we can throw in a curveball against Syracuse and throw in this taller guy and it can help us get some rebounds. But that was his most played game when he had 13 minutes against Cuse this past year. Did have one game as a freshman against Miami where he played 11 minutes, his other double-digit minute game in his college career for Florida State. Had eight points in that game. That's a career high, four for five shooting in that game. So here's the, the big question. Should fans be excited about Quincy Ballard? Those stats I just laid out, not great. Now, here's the case for him. Pascal Chukwu's stats weren't great when he transferred from Providence. Simon Torrance, his stats were, frankly, pretty bad. And, you know, it wasn't the, like, best season ever from a Syracuse guard, but I think we're all relatively happy with how Simon Torrance has gone. We're very happy to have him back going into this upcoming season. He fit a role that we really needed last year. There's a role that someone needs to fill in the backup center position here. Because as I've talked about, Jesse Edwards could get hurt, which happened last year. But even taking out injury for just a second, the guy gets in foul trouble when he plays 20 minutes, when he plays 25 minutes. It's sometimes, I mean, he fouled out of a game in 15 minutes this year against Boston College. Now, that was the game he really struggled in and did get hurt in that game. Not sure if that played a factor, but bottom line is this. Going into next season with Jesse Edwards as your center and Peter Carey as the backup or John Bolajak as the backup or throw in, we could play Benny at the five or we could play Malik Brown at the five or we could just play man-to-man and go small ball. And like, I don't think that's what the coaching staff wants. There's no way that Jim Beheim can confidently and honestly stand up at the podium in early November or late October and say, we're excited about what we have at the center position if he doesn't add someone, right? I mean, they that's just, it's a glaring thing that is so common sense that I think you, you have one scholarship left, you can make a case, all right, well, John Bull might leave or he, you know, Chaz Owens could give up his scholarship or maybe there's a way to finagle in another scholarship. I get all that, but bottom line is this. Cole Swider left. You now have a scholarship open. You really need a backup center. If you don't have a backup center, then you're having to get very creative when Jesse Edwards is not in the game. And I don't think it's best for Jesse Edwards if he's playing 35 minutes each and every night. And we're in ACC play, and I know other Syracuse players have done that at the guard position, but I think it's different. Like, you don't want your center running up and down the court and playing 35 minutes a night when you play three or four games a week in the heart of ACC play. So as much as I like Jesse, I think it would be nice to have a backup center. Is Quincy Beller going to be as good as Frank Anselm if he is acquired by Syracuse and he does commit here after the visit? I don't know. Probably not would be my assumption right now. But I do think it's sort of unfair to come out and say, and I think I've even hinted at it. Like, I'll, I'll be totally blunt. Like, my first reaction when 
this news came out and when Quincy Ballard hit the portal was like, man, I, I hope they don't just add him. And that's that. I would still like them to add another player if they can figure out a way to add another scholarship. And I think my initial reaction, like a lot of fans, is just this feels like last year all over again. Is this what we're going to do in the transfer portal each and every year? Just go back to our old call list of guys that we knew in high school and not really make an effort on the actually intriguing and talented prospects out there. Not no disrespect to Quincy Ballard, but is he a game changer next year? If if he's added to this roster next year, does it really change a ton? I think he he fills a role at the backup center position but it's not like Syracuse goes from ninth in the ACC preseason poll to sixth with Quincy Ballard on the roster next year. Maybe he blossoms into a player and he proves all of us wrong. That's at least how I feel about it right now. So initially my thought was, I don't want this to be how they handled the transfer portal. I don't want an opportunity to expand on your team and grow your team in the off season to be, all right, if it works out and there's a guy out there that we've had a prior relationship with and he fills a role that we need, we'll go for it. But if not, we're really not going to reach out to anyone that we don't know. I hope that doesn't happen. We don't really know if that is happening or if they have just reached out to other people that we don't know about. But you feel like if a player gets sort of some interest from Syracuse or a phone call from a coach, they would probably make, it public in some way or another, whether they tell a journalist or they just put it out there themselves or, you know, they express that there has been some interest from Syracuse because why not? Syracuse is still a brand in, in some way. And I know you can make a case that it's down from what it used to be, but it's still a brand. So I find it a little disappointing that it might just be a Quincy Ballard and Dunn transfer portal cycle for Syracuse because I think a forward would be nice as well. But I would say, if you only add one guy, I think it's more important to add the backup center than just another backup forward at this point, because there's other ways, and like Justin Taylor could play some forward, even Copeland, Torrance has played in the back of the zone. You can't really replace going from a seven-footer to then not having another one and not having another sort of quote-unquote anchor in the 2-3 zone. So I do think it's more important, especially given Jesse's foul trouble history, to add a backup center than a, a backup forward. But to kind of finish up my thought on that, it does feel kind of lazy, and I get that take, and I think I've even said that before. But what would be really lazy is if Syracuse just didn't add someone at the backup center position. And you're just not going to get some all-star backup center. You're not going to convince someone to come in to the program as a center that is looking for big time when Jesse Edwards, who is a blossoming potential all ACC player and could have been the all ACC most improved player this past year. And was a guy that is on pace to maybe average a double double or something like that next year and be an integral part of the team. He's knowing that Jesse's there. It's not like they're going to really add someone better than Quincy Ballard. So I think at first we're inclined to think "Eh, that just doesn't do much for the team. And it bugs me that they're just going back to the well here and going back to a guy that they already knew. And it it strikes you as kind of lazy, but when you stop and think about it, if you're Jim Beheim, what other options really are there? I mean, I'd like to see them at least put out a phone call to some other center type players. I'm not saying they shouldn't do that, but realistically, 
they're looking for a guy that is pretty much Quincy Ballard. Maybe a little bit better, but it helps that they do know him, and it helps that there is some immediate interest, and I think it's totally reasonable if they do add him, even though it does kind of feel like a repeat of last year and not that much of a game-changer to the team. We will continue on this conversation, talk a little bit about whether that should be it in the transfer portal or should they look to add someone else. I've hinted at that a little bit already, but want to dive into that some more. Before we do that, betonline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters Championship odds, podcast, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. As of me recording, Thursday night, the Big Cat tied for 10th in the Masters. Very excited about that. Maybe join in on some bet online wagering stuff on Tiger Woods and, and see if you can get on the action there. Bet online is your continued source for all of your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right. So let's just go through the roster real quick before I dive into this. And there are a couple other guys that are out there in the transfer portal. Now, no one else that is like, Oh yeah, that's a guy that Syracuse is going to go after and makes total sense. I mentioned Kudis Wahab was in the portal who they had relationships with. But again, as Tyler and I talked about last week, I believe Wahab's a guy that's not looking to, to be a backup center at Syracuse. He's a, a good enough player. That's looking to get some major minutes after starting at Georgetown and starting at uh, Maryland last year. Frank Kepnong has entered the portal. I believe Syracuse had some background with him. Oregon guy. Don't know if they'll reach out to him. But here's the roster right now. 12 scholarship players. I projected on the Monday podcast, if you missed that, that I think the starting five next year is as follows. Judiments point guard, Joe Girard, shooting guard. Chris Bunch, one of the freshmen starting at one of the forward spots. Benny Williams, the other forward spot. Jesse Edwards. The center, my best guess at what the ACC rotation would be if they add Quincy Ballard, we'll play it with that game, is Symeer, six-man, Justin Taylor as the backup forward. Maybe he could play some guard as well. And the eighth guy, Quincy Ballard, your backup center. I think we there were some conversations I had with people on Twitter about, well, what about Copeland? He's a guy that's 6'6", and it feels like they're kind of missing that aspect in the zone recently and he can pass it and has a high ceiling. I think in a perfect world, I would want Copeland to be in the rotation in a perfect world. Syracuse would play nine or 10 guys, but we don't really live in that world. It's not really reasonable to expect that to happen based on Jim Beheim's track record. I think what we will see is, one backup guard, which is Simeon Torrance or Judah Mintz, whoever does not start. One backup forward, maybe two back. Sometimes, if anything, the position that gets two is the forward spot. But I only see Justin Taylor, and then you get into Malik Brown, John Bolajak. I don't really think there's a need to go more than one backup forward, knowing that those are the options. Maybe it ends up that Justin Taylor is behind Malik Brown and Malik Brown's the forward. But my point is one guard, one forward, one center is probably what we'll see off the bench. So how does Copeland get in that mix? I'm not quite sure. Copeland could be the Justin Taylor type of role where maybe they do drop him down to the forward spot at 6'6". It feels like you would really like him to be up top in your zone though, and that's what they recruited him to be. My understanding of Copeland is he has 
a lot of variations of how his freshman season could go. Very high ceiling, maybe the lower of the floors compared to the other freshmen. Like Justin Taylor, he's either going to shoot it or he's not. At Peach Jam, he kind of struggled. We'll see. If he's making shots, I think he's going to be a player next year for Syracuse. He's rated as the third highest recruit pretty consensusly. Or is that a word? Consensusly? Probably not. As a consensus, he is rated as the third highest guy. So it seems like he's probably going to be the third freshman, if I were to guess. And I don't really see Jim Beheim playing more than three freshmen next year. I'm talking ACC play. Maybe at the start of the year, we will probably definitely see 10, 11 guys and see them in varying degrees. But once we get into the rotation, not so sure how Copeland fits in, knowing that he's the fourth guard. And it's been pretty rare, I feel like, that we've seen four guards or three-point guard type players play for Syracuse, especially knowing that is Joe Girard really going to play less than 30 minutes? Probably not. So there's only so many minutes that are there for the guard position next year. I'll say this about that roster. It definitely is getting back to what we used to be, which is better on defense, and that's encouraging. I'm still not quite there, and you can probably hear it in my voice. I still just feel like there's so many unknowns with that. And really the only knowns are the three rotation players that you're returning. You could say Benny's a rotation player, so we can call it three and a half, but Samir, Jesse, Joe. You're returning three rotation players from a losing team last year. So when you start with that, it's hard to get too optimistic, but then you could make the case Yes, but Gerard can now play off the ball. Yes, but Judah Mintz is going to be really good. Benny's going to take a leap. Chris Bunch is better for our zone, and we just have a better defensive team, and that's all our good teams. And frankly, when we've been uh, not that much expectations going into a preseason, that's helped us. I hear all that. I do think there's some truth to the fact that when they've had preseason top 25 teams, they floundered a little bit, and I'd almost rather them not quite get a ton of hype and and maybe our team that gets off this bubble slash out of the bubble slash just weak regular seasons maybe the team that gets out of the funk for that for us is is a type of team like this who knows it's just a lot of unknowns i think that's all i'm trying to say is like benny williams has to be good next year chris bunch pretty much has to be good judah mintz has to be good Justin Taylor has to give you solid minutes. Everyone has to stay healthy. And then that's what? Third, fourth best team in the ACC? I would like to see them add someone at the forward position. I get the scholarships might be all dried up after Quincy Ballard, but you're Syracuse basketball. I think you can try and find a way if a player's out there. Now, I don't really know if they can add someone that's worth adding or a huge difference maker on this roster but my thought process on the roster right now is how many guys on that team would unc be dying to have would duke be dying to have judah mintz i would say yes because he's undoubtedly a top 50 recruit espn has him as the 35th rated guy so i'm very excited about judah mintz but i don't know guys i i don't know if this is the team that gets us out of the bubble rut that we've been in frankly i i think I'd like to see at least Quincy Ballard, if not a better center, and and maybe one more player in the portal. I will say this, though. Year after that, 
could be really good because maybe Benny stays. And I know we don't, why, why we even talk about two years from now, because a lot of things are going to change probably. And we don't have a great read on all the unknowns on this year's roster. I like the way the program is heading, given that this recruiting class gets me really excited. I just don't know if the formula to getting back to the top of the ACC is playing a lot of freshmen, not having a lot of creators outside of maybe Mints, and relying on a lot of unknowns going into next year. I think, though, that Jim Beheim could maximize this group and we could see this team succeed. But to me, a successful season next year with a roster like that is nine seed, eight seed. So I'm not all that excited that it's going to be too different from what we've seen in the regular seasons, but maybe that's when it's going to hit us upside the head and it's going to happen. So that's my general thought on the Quincy Ballard stuff and all the the transfer portal nonsense that might happen over the next coming weeks. We'll see if Syracuse gets involved in that a little bit more. I would like to see that in general. That is going to wrap up the podcast today. And sadly and unfortunately, that is my last episode of the Locked on Syracuse podcast. The podcast is not ending, but as loyal listeners know, Tyler did his last episode last week. And unfortunately, it's just gotten really busy for us to keep doing this. And we both accepted new roles recently that have been good for us, but it's been really tough to do the podcast, get on the same schedule. And it's been a heck of a ride and I would not trade anything for what we've done. I mean, we've done, we did 555 episodes together and I appreciate everyone that has listened. I know this is sort of a bummer maybe to people that have been with us since the beginning and have grown accustomed to this in our routine. I would encourage everyone to stay subscribed to the podcast because very, very soon there is going to be two new great hosts coming hopefully next week. And they will still have the same formula. It'll still be the locked on Syracuse podcast daily in your podcast feed. And I promise you it'll be great content with two great new hosts coming up, but this is kind of the end of an era for, for the first rendition of the Locked On Syracuse podcast, I guess, it's really sort of sad. Tyler and I talked a lot about how could we make this work, and it's just unfortunate because he's going on to bigger and better things. I've accepted a new role, and it's just gotten really busy and tough to keep updated with it. So we're both going to miss it, and we appreciate everyone that has been listening from day one. If you caught us in the middle, if you caught a tweet on uh, Twitter from Tyler or I that just made you mad and that made you join the podcast. Anyone that is listening along the process, it's been really fun that in a weird way, there has been sort of a community through the podcast. And we, when we do the live show, we see some of the same names. There's a good collection of you on Twitter that when we drop tweets, you guys are responding and laughing at our jokes or our bad takes or whatever. And that's the part that I'm really going to miss is that it became a way to watch the games and consume the games in sort of a community atmosphere. So it's unfortunate, but it's kind of uh, come, I guess, as they say, all good things must come to an end, maybe is how I'd, how I'd phrase it. So unfortunately, this will be the last episode for me. That does not mean the podcast is ending. Two new hosts will be coming very, very shortly. It is not the end of the Locked on Syracuse podcast. Stay subscribed. Follow the Twitter page. That'll still have great updates. It just won't be from Tyler and I dropping bad takes. It'll just be probably from, frankly, two better hosts. So very excited for what is to come for the podcast. It has been a blast to this point. 
working on it with Tyler, getting to know some of you guys, getting involved in this community, and really appreciate everyone that has listened, watched, followed, liked, any of that stuff. It has really helped us out, and I'm going to miss it for sure. So not the end of the podcast, but this is uh, still a place going forward that you can get daily SU pods, but this is going to wrap up the era for me and Tyler, and new hosts are coming very, very soon. Until then, though, Tim Leonard signing off for the final time on the Locked on Syracuse podcast.